Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us this morning. Help us to know you more through, through the, the message and help me to be faithful to your word and, and speak in a way that, that reflects your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Um, we're doing a, uh, a series on marriage and family. And actually, if you weren't here last week, there's CDs um, out on the table if you want to grab one. I, I listened to all of them in advance. So uh, last time I did CDs, they played super fast. And it was like the album and the chipmunks version of the sermon. Um, but it was right in the right length of time, <laughs> you know, at double speed. Uh, so there's, there are sermon CDs that, that work. The audio is a little crummy because we had an audio issue last week that we fixed. Um, if, you, if you missed it, it you know, it, it might be worth checking out. It, um, and I'll, I'll recap it a little bit here. Um, and there'll be one out next week. And if, if you know somebody who might benefit from it, um, feel free to grab one up and, and give it away. Um, and as always, all the messages are put on the um, on sermons sermon.net. Um, and you can listen to them streaming from there, um, which you can click on our Facebook page and get to that. So, um, um, we're going to continue talking about marriage this week. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'm going to start with a, with a prank I played a few weeks ago. And it's something that's been a running joke in our, my wife and I in our marriage since, I don't know, since we got married, probably. Does that sound about right? Um, I, I uh, how many of y'all have an iPhone or one of those Neo uh, uh, computer phones. Smartphone. Smartphone. That's it. Um, I'm technological. Um, I, am I the only one really who has one? <laughs> the, the most obnoxious thing about owning a smartphone is the cleverest feature in the world that's autocorrect. You know what I'm talking about? Or you, and, and there's websites devoted to this where people, most of them are pretty blue, so I wouldn't recommend it. But, but um, You'll jump on these things and you'll 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 type in something and what autocorrect does is if you misspell a word, it'll fix it for you. Or sometimes you'll type the first three letters and like it'll figure out what you're going to type and it'll throw it up there and you can just hit space and it'll fill in the blanks. And that's awesome until until it guesses wrong and you and you text too fast, right? Um, and and there's there's collections of these where and actually I had it happen to a where I was texting a therapist at my last job, and it it um, changed um, um, who are to a different word, and, and I wound up um, <laughs> having to apologize for my text. Um, it, it it's sometimes really inconvenient, right? And it, but it's a neat feature. Well, I, I was looking, and I I learned that you can alter uh, on the iPhone. You can you can program autocorrect. Um, and, and so I, I borrowed my wife's phone, you know, somewhat silently, um, and I, I made some adjustments to her autocorrect. So that, that spell words that she may have chosen the wrong word or, or misspelled would automatically be replaced with ones that, that would be more appropriate. Like, like, love was changed to obey. So she, <laughs> if she typed, I love you, the autocorrect would, of course, realize that what she meant was, I obey you. <laughs> and and um, Eric, here I came, my name Eric, um, changed to master. <laughs> and, and um, well, I'm not going to get into that, that one. <laughs> but, but I thought it was pretty funny. And, and um, it, it's actually been a running joke in our, in our married life that um, Jess, I'm, I'm pretty sure because I was there, um, and I have very clear memory on such things that when we did our, our vows, you know, that obey was one of the things that she agreed on. And she says that she would never have said that. Um, I think she was blinded by love. There's a video. 
<laughs> Videos can be edited, <laughs> altered. Um, and, and so there's there's a lot of discussion in our home as to whether or not Jessica, um, you know, like like did this obey thing. And I, I'm pretty sure she actually did, and I'll admit it publicly. Um, we're going to be talking about Ephesians five this morning. This is one of those one of those passages in the Bible that often prompts people to elbow. Like, hey, hey, you listening? You listening? Um, and and so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna warn you, women, ladies. That's lady. Um, I'm, I'm gonna warn you that, that you know I I uh, I'll be walking out. You can beat me up on the way to the parking lot. Um, and, and and there may be stuff in here that that if you're an active, angry feminist, you might not appreciate. That's not from trying to be offensive. This is what the scripture says. This is what I got. Okay. So, um, last week we talked about marriage. We talked about the fact, or we talked about Adam and Eve, and we talked about how marriage was initially designed to reflect eternal things, right? So, like, like, and that's the way sort of God designs the world. Things in the world reflect heavenly reality. Um, it's, it's most clear in things like the tabernacle, which is where they would sacrifice animals in the desert, like before the temple was built, and that's a reflection of um, Christ's death on the cross, right? It, that's the, the specific word for that is um, uh, typology, right? But that's doesn't really matter right now. Um, in regards to marriage, what we find is God has, has a specific form: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody's heard this before, right? And there is one God, but that one God has three persons. And why does He have three persons? Well, He has three persons because um, one of the big qualities that we know is true about God is that God is love, right? It was all about love. And you can't really love in and of yourself. You can't sit and be like, I love... I mean, you can't, it's creepy. Um, love has to be aimed at something. So I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love tacos, right? Like, love is something you aim at something wonderful and terrific, right? Like tacos. Um, and my wife warned me last week, you joke too much, and here I am. Um, so so God, God, in being the only eternal, always there thing... For God to be about love has to have something to aim love at. And so um, he is the only thing that, that, that there was, right? Or that there is that always was and always will be. And so God, um, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are these three persons. And God the Father loves God the Son. God the Son loves God the Father. God the Holy Spirit loves both of the other two. We all love him. And this is, this is sort of part of why the Trinity exists. Everybody with me? Um, and, and marriage is designed after that. Husband and wife are created, right? And, and we see in Adam and Eve that they're one, right? And they're made out of the same stuff, and they stand next to each other, and they, they uh, love each other, and they're designed to be a part of each other, but separate. And this is the ideal design for marriage. But that apple thing happened, right? The forbidden fruit. And, and things started getting all whopper God. They don't work the way they're supposed to. And um, as a result, we see, for example... We didn't talk about it last week, but right as Adam and Eve left the garden, Adam does something really, really specific. He looks at Eve, who's actually only named woman at this point, and he says, you know what, I'm going to name you Eve, because you're going to be the mother of all humanity. And that's sort of something you could read past and be like, oh, hey, look, you named her. Um, except that naming is a sign of taking authority over someone, right? God names Adam. Jesus renames all his disciples. When you give someone a name, like renaming somebody is something you can't do unless you're an authority. And so we see in the very beginning of the time outside of the garden where Adam steps up and says, I'm naming you. And he assumes a position of authority 
that wasn't really present before because he didn't name her before. Everybody follow me? And this is a product of the fall, ultimately. Whether God designed it to be one way or the other, like, like we know that, that there's this hierarchical system that's come about, and it's been there for thousands of years, better or worse, right? It is reality, where, where men have taken control, and women have Or in some cases they have, but that's neither here nor there. Um, we're going to continue to talk about this model thing, and we're going to talk about it in terms of Ephesians 5, um, where God starts to redeem the world. Um, you know, in Christ, God sends redemption. Things get fixed in Christ. And we're going to see, you know, in Ephesians, which is Paul, um, thank you for putting on the screen. Um, Wives, be subject to your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wife ought to be to their husbands and everything. Um, this is a fairly abused passage of the scripture, right? Like, straight away. Um, most men who decide to use it to their advantage will take that first line, and that's it, right? Hey, you're supposed to obey. This is it. This is it, right? Um, but there's a little more to it than that. Because what we're finding is that God sets this up so it reflects a heavenly reality. And that heavenly reality is um, Christ and the church. Jesus, the Son of God, came. He dies for our sins. Um, the church is his unified body of followers. These people who are made one through the Holy Spirit and who love Jesus. And as an act of love to Jesus, they follow him, right? And, and they live a life that's organized under him. And in fact, actually, it's one of those, I, I talk about poor translation sometimes. This is another spot where we see poor translation. Subject, right? We think subject, we think slave, right? We think servant. We think somebody under a king. That's the way it ought to be in my house, right? No, but that's not what it's saying. Um, the proper word here, it should be understood as um, organized underneath. Like, or somebody who organize, it organizes in response to someone else. Um, I, I may be a slave to Christ, right? Like, that's part of who I am as a believer. Because um, as believers, we all come to a place where we serve Jesus, and this is how we live. But in a very real way, that's about us organizing our lives around what Christ desires us to do, right? I serve Jesus because, I, because I'm saved, because he died for my sins, and I love him, and so I serve him. And, and my service is about you know, my dedication to that. And I organize my life around that idea. Um, and so it's not as if I'm out, um, you know, oh, Jesus said i got to do this. <laughs> oh, Jesus said i got to be here this morning. Jesus said i got to sing this song. i got to check these marks so I can go to heaven. These are all things that we do in response, like to Christ, because we love him. And, and subject here, not slave, it's organized underneath. It's to live in a way that's in response. Everybody with me? Um, let me find my spot in the outline again. Um, the other thing that's important to note, I, I, I'm going to backtrack just a touch. Um, this is a genre of literature, right? Like, uh, how many of y'all listen to Johnny Cash? Really, one person? <laughs> I, I love Johnny, right? And Johnny does some songs that are autobiographical. Is that fair? He sings songs about his own life sometimes. And, and as he's singing about his own life, um, it, it's, a, it's a genre of writing. And, and as we look at that genre, like, you can't really sit down with, you know, one of his albums and say, okay, this happened first because it's the first song, then this happened, and then this happened, and try and track his life out that way, right? That's not the genre of literature that, that songs are. And so, like, 
Like, so like in order to understand this properly, what we need to do is we need to look at it in terms of the genre. Um, and, and it's specifically what's called a household code. Um, it was a very common thing in the ancient world for cultures to develop these statements where they would um, know certain things about uh, what was expected of them as a people because this is what the code says. And, and it's pretty common. Um, and the Bible isn't unique in having them. But the household codes presented in the scripture are unique. Everybody with me? Um, in this case, we start with like, Wives be subject to husbands, not that unusual, right? Most of the world sort of expected if you were a woman and you were married, you're under your husband. That's it. Um, after that, we find a bit of uniqueness in it's compared to Christ and the church. Why do we do it? Because we're reflecting an eternal reality. The same way that the Trinity is reflected in the ideal marriage, right? So we're reflecting an, an eternal reality. And, and we're reflecting it in reorganizing relationship to. And then um, we do this as unto the Lord. The Lord would refer to Christ, right? So like as unto Christ. So we're supposed to be in submission, organized in response to Christ. Um, it modifies the whole thing. Um, we serve Christ out of selfish desire? No. I don't think so. Anybody here serving Jesus out of selfish desire? I mean, going to heaven is sort of self-centered. But, but apart from that, like, it's, it's kind of an expensive way to live sometimes. Um, out of fear, I follow Jesus because I'm scared of him. Some people do that. You know, I'm already going to hell. Um, but ultimately, that's not a fruitful spiritual life, right? Like, like a fruitful spiritual life is out of love. Um, so then why do we obey Christ? Well, we obey Christ um, um, out of love. Um, any other way, it becomes like the law, right? You put the Ten Commandments on me and say, you've got to do this stuff to go to heaven, and I'm going to be terrified. Because if I break one, I'm in trouble. Right? And that means I get to these ones like, don't commit adultery, and Jesus modifies it by saying, don't look at other women lustfully. And I'm like, maybe I need really dark sunglasses. You know? I need to not look at anyone, because I don't want to accidentally break. I mean, it becomes a fearful thing, right? Living under the law is horrible. Um, and if a wife lives in a place where she's you know, under her husband out of fear, that's not okay. It's not the design. Wives are designed to love husbands in the same way as husbands are designed to love wives. But that's next week. Um, everybody still with me? Um, so we see the Trinity. We see um, submission in Christ. Actually, is another example of this. Um, when Jesus goes to the cross, um, before he goes to the cross in the garden, he stops, he prays, he says, God, I really don't want to do this. Right? I, I really don't want to do this. If there's any way for me to not do this, can you go ahead and let this cup pass? I don't want it. But your will be done. Now, if Jesus is doing that because he's submitting out of fear and, and, and out of being in a lower place, that means that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a hierarchy, right? God is at the top. Jesus is in the middle or at the bottom. You know, and, and, and one rules over the other. But it's not accurate to what we see in the scriptures. It's not accurate to the way Jesus describes his relationship with God. Jesus describes it as one of love and one of submission out of love. And this is the model that Paul is setting forward. Where wives submit, but you don't submit out of fear. You submit out of love. You submit out of um, love that reflects the love of Jesus for God the Father. Um, actually, I need a volunteer. Somebody want to come up and volunteer for me? Ooh. 
birthday. <laughs> Come on, she said it. I can't believe you submitted to her like that. <laughs> well, you're up now. Come on. <laughs> All right. I have uh, five dollars. Right? Five? Here you go, church. Now I'd like you to steal that from me. Well, you can't steal it from me? So you can't steal something that I can give to you. Huh? Thank you. Hey, you should volunteer. <laughs> um, here's the sense of it, okay? Can you steal something I'm willing to give to you? Um, one of the deep-seated fears and one of the things that our culture has told women is if you come into a marriage situation and your role is like anything but equal or above, you're a slave and it's wrong. I mean, you've heard this, right? This is actually why most preachers are really afraid to preach on this Ephesians passage, because the idea is, oh, well, if it's not, you know, this way, then it's not okay. But I'm, in the same way as Kate couldn't steal the money I just gave her, could you? Yeah. Um, a husband can't put you under authority in a way that's, like, brutal and mean and, and dictator-like. Um, if you're willing to serve him out of love, can he? This is where we get lost. Because oftentimes as we come at marriage, we'll say things like, well, you know what? I'm willing to do these things if he meets these requirements. Right? Um, you know, well, I'd be more nice and polite with you if you were more nice and polite with me. I would be more friendly if you did your chores a little better. I would be a little more um, perceptive to your advances if you lost 30 pounds. If, you know, if you meet these standards, then I will respond by loving and, and, and meeting you halfway. I mean, people do that in marriage. There's this expectation that you will meet some of my needs, and in exchange, I'll meet your needs. Um, but ultimately, what we find in the scripture is, regardless, we're commanded to take certain roles. Um, wives aren't commanded to love and, 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 you know, like relate to their husbands in the way they are if the husband deserves it. It's, it's something that's about, um, it's about like reflecting Christ. Now, I'm going to give some disclaimers. If, um, if a husband starts cheating or beating up his wife or doing things along these lines, whole other conversation, right? That's sort of a deal breaker. Because I don't think that God puts us in a spot where we're okay with being abused. But um, th there's a degree to which, like, like, beyond that, things become excuses, right? Things become about, what do I want right now? How do I get what I want out of this situation? And ultimately, this isn't reflexive of the Christian lifestyle. In fact, actually, if you look at how um, Christ commanded us to live, I'm off my slides at this point, I'm sorry. Um, um, there's a line in Philippians. Uh, this is Paul again. Um, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow to, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord 
God the Father. Um, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, if you're a believer, if you're somebody who's obedient to Christ, if you're somebody who's following Christ, you're supposed to take on this example. What's the example? Well, you don't try to take the high position, right? You become a servant to those around you. Actually, Jesus did this with his disciples, where the disciples said, well, which one of us is greatest? Come on, you know it's me, right? And Jesus is like, well, I'll tell you what, whoever's willing to serve everybody else, and whoever's willing to take the lowest position, he'll be the first one in heaven. Why? Because that's how we imitate Christ in our lives. Oftentimes, though, we expect it to be different in our marriage. We say, well, in my marriage, I expect this to be a tip for tap. I expect this to be equal. I expect you to do stuff for me, and I'll do stuff for you. Um, But it's not reflective of the scriptural standard. The scriptural standard is we love each other, and we submit to each other out of love. Because that's what Christ did with the Father, and we're called to imitate Christ. Um, how does this play out ultimately? Um, it plays out kind of tough. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit of application here. Um, first off, submission is a choice. You can't steal something that's a gift. right? Like I, You can't make me do something I'm willing to do on my own. Um, secondly, um, Serving for all believers ought to be the facto stance. It ought to be what we do, right? What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to serve you. Um, if I'm a leader, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to serve the people who are following me. If somebody's hungry, I'm supposed to help them. If somebody's lost, I'm supposed to help them find their way. If somebody is hurting, I'm supposed to help soothe them. This is a part of what we're called to do. We serve, right? And, and it's something we hear all the time. We don't serve because it earns us points. We serve because this is who we are as believers. Um, it's part of our DNA, our spiritual DNA. Um, in marriage, um, this is a choice that we make. Um, it's not about, I will submit if he, I'm sorry, I'm retracting a little bit here. This is on my list. So as we as we deal with our spouses, it's not a choice that we make. It's something we said, like, this is what I'm going to do because this is who I am. Um, Well, here's, here's the way I tried to come up with this as I was thinking this through. Um, as another example, like if I'm called to serve the way that Christ served, and I'm called to love the way that Christ loved, um, um, oftentimes, you know, maybe y'all have heard somebody say this, I will continue to follow God if he will continue to answer my prayers the way I want him to. Right? Jesus, I will honor you and I will, I will do what you want if you do what I want. Or, I will start giving money to God when he starts giving me winning lottery tickets. Or not even that. When God starts making money a little more available to me, I'll start giving. Like, you know, I'll I'll give once I have, right? If you meet my need, I'll meet your need. I'll I'll follow then. Or, actually, we see this in the desert. Jesus is in the desert. He's fasting and the devil comes and tempts him. And what does the devil say? Just bow down. Do it once. I'll give you whatever you want. It's not a model of how we're supposed to be. It's not a model that Christ presents us. It's not a model that that is effective in relationships, ultimately. Because when we play out that role of, if you do for me, then I will do for you, like, it's poisonous. We hit a point where we stop liking each other. And it becomes about, well, why don't you meet my needs? Um, Again, there are lines. Um, The wife isn't a slave. Um, She acts out of love, not obligation. Um, even if she doesn't love her husband, it's about love for Jesus, right? Like, at the end of the day, loving Christ needs to be the center of what we do as believers. Um, 
It needs to be the first and foremost like, like direction we go in. Uh, we love Jesus first. We love everything else second. I love Jesus, and so I try to do right by my life, right? Um, because I love Jesus, and that's what Jesus commands me to do. Because in obeying and imitating Christ, I serve. And I serve those around me. Um, so, like, the way this might work, to give an example, I might do the dishes out of love, right? You know, or my wife might change Abby's diapers um, out of love for Jesus rather than out of love for me. Uh, why? Because it's so part of how we're called to be in Him. Um, oh, I ruined it. Um, what does this mean? It means that gossiping about your husband probably isn't okay. Um, any of y'all, well, there are only a handful of married folks here, but have any of y'all listened to somebody who had nothing nice to say about their husband? And they just needed to call you to let you know, like, you know why my husband is worse than Hitler? Um, or, you know what my husband did today? You know what my husband, you know, I swear that man, he's, you know, he's weight every day. I hate you. Know, he's not the man I married. He can't even, like, pick his laundry up off the floor. He can't even do the dishes. He can't even get up off the couch and stop watching TV. Is this love? Not really. Is this reflecting how Christ, like, modeled for us? No. Actually, there's a great line in uh, there's a great line in Proverbs where it says that whatever like um, comes out of our mouth is ultimately like something that grew out of our mouth out of seeds that we planted in our hearts in the first place, right? So if I'm gonna Bad, bad mom, my wife. I start out like by feeling angry at her, and I let those angry seeds grow, and it becomes me, and it becomes my words. Like it's what comes out of our mouth is a reflection of our heart. Um, complaining constantly. If again, this is something I, I'm not going to point at anyone. I'm, I'm, I don't know y'all that well, but I'll tell you, there are a lot of husbands who will say, "Man, my wife can't say a nice thing about a thing I do at all." I can't remember the last time she complimented something I did. I can't remember the last time she was satisfied with something I did. I can't remember the last time. I mean, it happens, right? And it's an easy place to find yourself in a relationship. We're complaining. It's just easier than doing anything else. Because it's kind of fun to complain, right? But ultimately, this is something that tears down. You know, I, I, uh, if, if I came home every day and the first thing my wife did was complain about me, or complain about something I hadn't done, or complain about something that I did poorly, or complain about how much love is in that? How is that a reflection of the love of Christ? Um, this is a really high standard, right? It is. Um, but it's a high standard because it's Jesus we're talking about. Uh, nagging. I'm going to pester you until you do what I want. You know, pestering you into submission. Um, again, not the love of Jesus, right? Um, I'm going to say this one gently. Um, there are some women who decide that it's time to discontinue certain aspects of the marriage relationship um, or to deny their husband of certain aspects of the, the marriage um, relationship because they say, well, marital relations are not something I want anymore. And you're on your own. Um, this isn't really a reflection of love, is it? Um, oftentimes this comes back to a root of I want what I want, and because what I want isn't what you want, you're out of luck. It's something specifically that the scriptures come in against, by the way. Um, a lack of respect. Um, when you when you talk down to your husband in public, in front of other people, and the 
come out out of not reflecting the love of Christ. Um, and when we fail to do these things, these things just come out naturally. Why? Because we're sinful, right? Um, the last one is being demeaning when you, when you just talk down to everything. Um, a lot of these are work-related, aren't they? Like, why is that? Because what comes out of our mouth is a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. Ultimately, if we can't get our hearts right, what else is there? This is law I'm tossing out, right? Here's the gospel end of things. Jesus, the one who we're supposed to be copying, died for our sins. And because he died for our sins, we can clean that slate and start over any day, right? We can say, you know what? I'm sorry. Or I recognize that I do this, and I'm sorry. And, and it's beyond sorry, right? Because repent means confess, it means feel contrite, and it means change, right? So anytime we can say, because Jesus died for me, I can make this right. Well, what do I need to do? I need to apologize. Confess. I need to be contrite, meaning I actually got to feel it, because, like, if I'm abusing my husband or not treating my husband in a way that's, like, Christ-like, um, I'm not obeying Christ. And that's something that we need to be contrite over, right? And so, contrition. And then going another way, like, there was a long stretch in my marriage where I would say sorry for just about everything I did, and then I would immediately do the same thing. <laughs> like, years. Jess often said, well... 14 years of our marriage have been the seven happiest of my life. Um, part of that was because I would say sorry and I would just do the same thing again, right? There was no repentance in the way I was acting. Change the final step of that. And we change not by trying really hard, but we change out of devotion to Christ. Um, you don't change by saying, I'm going to follow the rules better because as a sinner, like all of us are sinners, as sinners, um, we won't do it. We'll try really, really hard and then we'll fall back into it because we're sinners and that's how we do things. So how do we change it? Well, we grow closer to Jesus. And through growing closer to Jesus and coming to a place where we're like intimate and, and submissive to Christ, that translates into other relationships. Relationships that are designed to be that way. Like the marriage relationship. Um, next week we're going to talk about husbands um, who, who have a fairly tough burden to carry in this regard. Um, and and um, I pray that, like, as we talk about this, this isn't something that becomes this burden or this, oh my gosh, that guy's an idiot, or what have you, but becomes something that grows into something better. Um, we're designed to love each other in a way that's radical and different, and that's what this is. It's a radical way of loving your spouse. Uh, loving in a way that might hurt. It might involve humility, right? Um, it's not fun. But ultimately rewards more in the long run in your own life and in your marriage. Um, we're going to close in prayer. And I don't think we have any more songs. <laughs> Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you would uh, touch the hearts of those who are present. I pray that you would move in such a way as to where they would uh, reflect your glory in their marriage relationships, in the relationships that they have with everyone they encounter. I pray that you would pour your spirit out on them and help them to be to be Christ-like in everything we do. We just say,